0: Nearly half a century ago, Roe v. Wade established the constitutional right to a safe and legal abortion. To this day, public opinion remains bitterly divided on the issue. Several states, like Texas and Mississippi, have moved to restrict abortion access, setting the stage for a Supreme Court battle. As a result, some women have traveled to states like Illinois for the procedure. So what will the future hold for reproductive rights in the U.S.? Later, you'll hear from Northwestern University bioethicist Katie Watson. She's author of Scarlet A., the ethics, law, and politics of ordinary abortion. But first, Dr. Erin King, executive director of the Hope Clinic for Women in Granite City in southern Illinois. She contemplates the magnitude of the moment. We've been preparing for a day
1: like this for years. We've watched... In Illinois here, we've watched states around us get more and more restrictive of abortion, and we've watched more and more patients have to travel further and further. And sadly, we were anticipating potentially a day where almost 26 states in our country may all of a sudden either have almost complete bans on abortion or abortion will be completely illegal in these states if Roe um, is to fall this year with the Supreme Court hearing um, new cases. So we've been preparing for this, but we really are centered on the patient. And how we can help them the most, given how confusing everything is and how hard it is to get this essential health care.
0: Well, speaking of the patients, Katie, you know, abortion's been a legal medical procedure, as we said, for 49 years now. One in four women in this country will have one. But if they're so common, why does the term carry such a heavy stigma?
2: It is sad. It is what scholars call the prevalence paradox, how something that is so common can be so stigmatized, but those are related. So people fear discrimination for having an abortion. They're silent about it, their abortions. And then the cycle continues where abortion is perceived to be deviant and unusual behavior rather than the common choice that it is. A statistic that I find really striking is approximately 42% of all unintended pregnancies end in abortion. And we all know that unintended doesn't mean unwanted. We don't have statistics on, quote, unwanted pregnancies. Um, So it's a very common choice in the face of an unwanted or unintended pregnancy, but people are afraid to talk about it.
0: Dr. King, what's the state of abortion access in Illinois right now? And if you could also describe for us what safe abortion care looks like
1: right so in illinois abortion over the last couple of years has actually been more protected the governor signed the Reproductive Health Act in May of 2019, and that essentially protected abortion access uh, regardless of what happens in the Supreme Court, what happens nationally. And the governor's administration has made it very clear that Illinois will protect all forms of reproductive health by signing that act, as well as shortly before that um, abortion being covered by Medicaid and making this an accessible form of health care for patients across the state. So um, not only in our own state, but patients traveling from outside the state just face very few restrictions on abortion beyond that, which all medical care providers in the state are held to the typical standards of any sort of gynecologic or other medical care. So in Illinois, we really have restrictions just medical care provider would have, but we don't single out abortion as a separate entity or something that is restricted or different health care than, say, going to your gynecologist for a pap smear or going for prenatal care or other types of reproductive health care. Abortion is treated the same. Unlike many other states surrounding us, for example, Missouri, which is Right. We're right on the border with Missouri here at the Hope Clinic for Women in Southern Illinois. and in Missouri, abortion is treated very differently. so you have to go through many barriers to access your care. You have to wait several days after talking to a health care provider. There's certain language that health care provider has to use in talking to about the procedure which may not be medically accurate. Mm-hmm. And you also have to see a certain healthcare provider in a certain space, and those providers have to be very clear and have a lot of restrictions about how they're even just their clinic works and functions, the size of their doorways and how they report things to their state health departments and right. all sorts of restrictions that make abortion no safer. So um, abortion is extremely safe. It is the safest medical procedure you can get. As an outpatient, it's safe to do in your own gynecologist's office, just like the same place that you would get your smear or other type of reproductive health care. It's mm-hmm. extremely safe to do that there.
0: Well, you talked, Dr. King, about being located near that Missouri state line. How have those abortion restrictions there impacted your work?
1: Yeah, so abortion in Missouri is almost completely restricted. There's one facility right now doing uh, making a, abortion available to patients, and they're seeing very few patients because of the restrictions. So most patients in Missouri are traveling out of state for their abortion care. So physically here at the Hope Clinic, we've seen over a 50% increase in patients. Since 2017, wow. when these restrictions really became much more onerous for the patients.
0: Katie, uh, there's a new poll that says that nearly 70% of Americans oppose overturning Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, we know that things could soon change. R- remind us what is happening in that Dobbs versus mm-hmm. Jackson Women's Health Organization case in Mississippi.
2: Scott's case was argued on December 1st, and we expect a decision from the Supreme Court in late spring, early summer. And in that case, Mississippi has banned abortions after 15 weeks in direct violation of Roe's viability standard. Roe held that women and all people capable of pregnancy have a constitutional right to abortion until the fetus could have a reasonable chance at a meaningful life outside the womb. So that means if it was prematurely delivered, doctors have put that about at a 50% chance of survival, which happens around 24 weeks these days. So it is a direct challenge to Roe. There are two likely possibilities. One is that the court abandons the viability standard, which is essentially overturning Roe, and saying an embryo or fetus that could not survive outside of a woman, that the states could still ban abortion at those earlier stages. Mm -hmm. Or it could completely overturn Roe and allow state legislatures to completely ban or pick any gestational line they like to ban abortion afterwards. And so for me, Sasha Ann, I think we have to really understand that this is a watershed moment in civil rights. So imagine in 1954, the court ruled in the Brown versus Board of Education case that separate is never equal. Imagine 49 years later, the court would say, oh, actually, sometimes it's equal enough and we'll return that to the state legislatures. Um, I don't think in the long run Americans would stand for that, but things would get worse before they got better. And it was very chilling to hear Justice Kavanaugh make his false neutrality argument that, well, if we just return it to the states, we're saying that the Constitution is neutral. It's neither pro-life nor pro-choice, when really the Constitution is not neutral. It says that women are people and that fetuses or embryos are not people protected by the Constitution. So when Justice Kavanaugh said, oh, if the court's neutral, there will be different answers in Mississippi and New York, different answers in Alabama than California, because the people in those states might value those interests somewhat differently. I found that very chilling. That's saying that people in the 26 states that Dr. King is noting are allowed to say that women are not people who deserve to control their fates.
0: Dr. King, what would overturning Roe v. Wade mean for women's physical and their mental health? Well,
1: we know two things happen. So if states, like Katie was talking about, decide to ban abortion or put restrictions on abortion, we know two things will happen to the patients in that state. Either they will not seek abortion, so they will remain pregnant, or they will travel further and further distances to obtain abortion. So. Looking at the first scenario, you can actually predict what will happen with those patients, a study in 2014 that was published by the University of California in San Francisco called the Turnway study by Diana, Foster, um, sorry, Diana Green Foster, looked at women who were denied an abortion for different reasons compared to women who got an abortion. And the women who were denied an abortion, now this is a study that was you know 8,000 interview hours, thousands of patients enrolled in this study, but what they found, people who were denied an abortion were actually four times more likely to live in a household that was below the poverty line than their cohort that were able to obtain an abortion. They were three times more likely to be unemployed. They were more likely to be unable to afford like basic housing needs and more likely to stay in touch with violent partners. And this was looking at them over time after yeah. they were denied their abortion. So you can see the outcomes are significant for the people who cannot access abortion. What we also know is a fair number of patients will still access abortion, but they're traveling hundreds of miles outside of their communities. They have to pay for childcare, time off of work. We've just seen here at Hope Clinic in the last year, an increase in about 66% in funding needs for patients. And that's funding for their actual procedure. We haven't increased our prices or anything like that. Mm -hmm. This is just funding for hotel rooms, for travel. To get there to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. All these barriers. Patients are needing more and more funding, logistical help. I mean, the barriers beyond just the state putting them in place, the barriers to get to states where the restrictions are lower or there there are no restrictions, um, like Illinois, are almost insurmountable. And there's multiple organizations banding together to help patients, uh, patient funding organizations, patient logistical support organizations. We just started working really closely with a local Planned Parenthood affiliate to help patients organize all these kind of different logistical um, barriers that they have
0: to face. But really, that is what the
1: patients will.
0: Well, briefly tell me, doctor, what you think the media is missing when we talk about abortion access in this country?
1: I think that what we're missing is that this should be a healthcare procedure or a healthcare visit that you would just walk into your gynecologist's office and see them or your family medicine provider and see them for five, 10 minutes, maybe have a procedure in their office or take a medication in their office and go home. And what has happened is this has turned into you know, patients traveling hundreds and hundreds of miles, and we know that this is directly affecting patients that have lower incomes, patients of color, people that are already having a very difficult time acting in the healthcare system anyway. We are further marginalizing groups of people and saying, look, your rights are not the same as these other people's rights. Mm-hmm. And we're really, I think Katie hit the nail on the head saying this is really a civil rights issue.
0: Yeah. We're almost out of time, Katie, but I want to end with you here as the bioethicist in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you're you're trying to reframe this discussion around the ethics of abortion.
2: I think we have to do a better job of separating out legality and morality. The era of morality laws is over. And so to say that to be pro-choice, is not to think every abortion is wonderful or you're in favor of it. And in fact, there are many people, I think, who are pro-choice in the sense of legality and anti-abortion, in mm-hmm. the sense that they think abortion is immoral or something they would never engage in or something they hope others wouldn't. But we live in a pluralistic country where we have to convince each other of our perspective, whether it's religious or our secular moral perspectives, rather than by force of law, try to capture people's bodies when we were not able to change their hearts and minds to see the world as we do. And we do this on so many other issues, yet on abortion, um, somehow we struggle more with that. And I think that that is related to the change in women's roles from embracing motherhood and family as well as activities in the economic and public spheres. and. Um, There are Americans who are scared by that change and want to turn the clock backwards and are using reproductive rights to do so. I think that's the wrong approach.
0: We've been speaking with Northwestern University bioethicist Katie Watson. She's also author of Scarlet A., The Ethics, Law, and Politics of Ordinary Abortion, and Dr. Erin King, Executive Director of the Hope Clinic for Women. Thank you both for your time. Well, that's it for today's Reset. The Supreme Court will hand down rulings in 2022 that may significantly shift civil society as we know it. To keep track of what could be a historic year in jurisprudence, please subscribe to this podcast and please give us a rating. It helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and please come back tomorrow.